0: as we're leading into Easter this year, we've been covering some of Jesus' parables from the New Testament. And I, I kind of saved sort of a challenging one for today. Um, the, the, first, uh, the first service, several people were looking at me like, oh my God, that's in the Bible? So, uh, <laughs> and yes, it is. <laughs> So let's just start off with this. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. You have a short version in your programs in case you want to take it home and read it later. I'm going to read you a slightly longer excerpt, so, so bear with me, but it's worth getting to the end here. So then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister whose sins against me? Up until seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. And then he goes on to tell this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt at this the servant fell to his knees before him be patient with me please he begged and i will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him canceled the entire debt and let him go but then when that servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins he grabbed him and began to choke him pay back what you owe me he demanded his fellow servant fell to his needs in turn and begged him be patient with me and i will pay it back but he refused instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt i know it's outrageous when, <laughs> it is i mean think about it right just right on the heels of him being forgiven okay when the other servants now it gets better though wait i swear <laughs> When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, naturally, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called this first servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that entire debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had with you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid everything back. Now, how do you like that? We even get torture in here. You don't get torture too much on Sunday. And, And then Jesus finishes up the whole parable by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you if you don't forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, it's not very often that the master teacher actually threatens torture. And I thought we ought to talk about that a little bit. Why is this topic of forgiveness so central to the teachings of Jesus? If you think about it, it was one of the final things that he did on the cross was to forgive the people who had put him there. It's in the Lord's Prayer. In many of the parables, this theme of forgiveness comes up. Well, we study the parables here in Science of Mind by looking at three levels. First of all, the the physical or literal meaning of the parable. And of course, most of it's pretty straightforward, right? You've got one servant, right, who gets the debt settled just by saying, you know, please forgive me and the master says, sure. No problem, your debt's entirely free and clear. I'll forgive the entire debt. But then he in turn, right, holds basically holds hostage the family of the servant under him who owes the money. So what's up with this? Well, first of all, before we move into the metaphysical meeting, we need to talk about what a talent is. So so the initial debt here was 10 thousand talents okay and, and here actually maybe Scott can help us out a little bit because there's actually three separate meanings of what this could mean depending on the translation and I'm actually gonna gonna give you all three potential meanings for ten thousand talents <coughs> and then you can help me decide which one you think is most likely so first of all one can actually trace back this as a biblical measurement and it roughly represents 36 pounds of gold. Now think about this. Right now, gold is what? $1,500 an ounce? So it would be 36 pounds of gold times 10,000. So we're like, it's close to a billion dollars. I worked it out on my, yeah, no, Scott's (laughs) laughing at me. He knows that there's that accountant that lives within me, but I figured it out on my calculator and we're talking close to a billion dollars okay well probably that's not one of the three meanings right but the second meaning is almost the same the second meaning of it is literally a large bag of gold so there we are back again you know however large a bag of gold someone can carry probably similar to 36 pounds so that's not much help either okay so hopefully the third meaning will get us out of hot water here right So the third meaning, because this was a time of slavery and indentured servitude, a talent was also considered that you could pay off a talent with a year of hard labor. Yeah, some of you are still multiplying in your head. 10,000 years of hard labor. So no matter how you get out of this one, this is an insurmountable amount of debt to be repaid. And it's got to make you ask, who would loan someone 10,000 talents, right? And who could afford to make a loan like that? Which, of course, brings us into the metaphysical meaning. There's only one source on this planet that can make Allah a gift like that, right? Clearly, the, the master or the king in the story can't be anyone other than God itself, Only God can give us that kind of wealth, that kind of security. Only only God could give us a loan equal to 10,000 of my own lifetimes. Only God could give me billions of, of freedom and wealth, right? And so that's where we have to go with the metaphysical meaning of this. It is the promise that, first of all, we can be loaned, if you will. We can be given. We can participate in unlimited wealth. That's the promise. And as a corollary to that, because this is absolutely about forgiven, it doesn't matter what you owe God in that sense, when we're ready to be forgiven, no questions asked, simply a forgiveness, no problems. In the Eastern tradition, you might think of this really as a story about karma, right? Because what are the debts that we're incurring with God? It's only the small unkindnesses and, and, and lies that we tell each other. It's only the resentment that we harbor in our own hearts for other people. It's only that, that feeling sometimes of hatred that we might have for someone that's done us wrong or caused us harm. These are the only kind of debts, really, that we can rack up, if you think of it that way in the metaphysical realm. And so what this parable is telling us first off is when we are ready to forgive, the universe is ready to forgive us. That there is no amount of debt, no amount of harm that we've ever caused, no amount of unforgiving work that we have in our hearts. There is nothing too large, no deed too, too <coughs> grievous, no, no feeling in our hearts so dark that God is not instantly ready to forgive. Okay, but then as you remember, the parable goes on, right? God doesn't have trouble forgiving us, but what about us as the servant as we interact with our fellows on this planet? Because that, I think, is the probably the more important part of this parable. I think we all have a sense that, that God's willing to forgive us, but what about the resentments that we harbor for other people? What about our own ability to forgive? What about in our own heart knowing that we're being kind of trapped, if you will, by things that have happened in the past and we're going to hold on to it out of anger sometimes, out of feeling betrayed, out of feeling harmed, out of feeling like someone has something up on us? This is that essence, I think, of unforgiveness. And as the parable says when we have that in our heart instead, when we have closed our heart to the light and the life of goodness, the torture follows. (laughs) And, And you know what? I think Jesus absolutely meant this to be a very visceral kind of discussion. I think he really wanted to conjure up that picture of nearly like a torture when we hold our hearts closed up When we don't allow forgiveness to be granted to people who maybe have harmed us in some way. And I want to read just uh, briefly from this book of uh, Erwin Seals as he talks about this. He says, A person who resents and hurts and tries to exact vengeance on others does not know what he is doing to himself. If he did, he would soon take measures to correct these attitudes and actions because he's postulating a second cause. When you predicate loss or hurt or gain or good upon the actions of others or upon things and events, you are actually stealing something from yourself. And so this parable, I think, is, is cautionary, not that some divine emissary, you know, other than maybe the forces of karma, other than the forces of, uh, uh, of cause and effect, it, it isn't that God's sitting on a cloud somewhere, and when you're unforgiving in your heart, God is going to torture you. Not at all. You are the one cheating yourself when your heart is closed. You are the person that has your own self held captive, through hate, through resentment, through fear, through that inability to let go. And so ultimately, I think the parable is kind of cautionary. It's really a caution to ourselves about unforgiveness. Okay. So who and what do we forgive? Because it isn't always just a person. I know a lot of forgiveness work, we think, all right, so I need to forgive maybe so-and-so that cheated me or so-and-so that betrayed me. But i got to tell you, forgiveness is a much bigger topic than that. It's really, if you think about it, any person, place, thing, or event from your past that when you think about it, The resentment or the anger or the the color comes to you. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's anything from the past that when you think about it, it makes your stomach seize up. It gives you that visceral feeling of ugh, right? Right? So it could be almost anything. It could be things that happened in your family when you were growing up. It could be how you were treated in high school. It could be your um, your first your first ex husband. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? It could <laughs> it could be almost anything, any person, any place, any event on this planet, and it's going to be different for everyone, right? And yet, and yet, it is these kinds of things that don't we think feel like they have us hostage. It feels like we're the victim here. And when Ernest Heal is cautioning us about this idea of duality, of saying that there's a second cause, that's what he's talking about. He's saying anytime you say that you are at the effect of someone else, right? Someone else betrayed me, so I am the victim. Someone else cheated me, so I'm the loser here. Someone else uh, you know, betrayed a trust or, or treated me poorly, so therefore I'm stuck where I am. What are we doing? We're saying there's something outside of God. And this is scary, my friends, <laughs> right? I mean, we're used to thinking of God as good. And every Sunday, of course, you hear luscious prayers and, uh, and hopefully some of my talk about how wonderful God is, right? And if it isn't God that's somehow treating you badly, and if it isn't you that's somehow treating you badly, then, you know, who, what's, this thir- what's this other force, Right? And I'm here to tell you, there's no devil, right? There isn't like good and evil. There isn't like opposing forces in this universe. And so, if we allow this duality of nature, if we say there is actually something that can hold me as a victim, something that is worthy of me not forgiving them how can we hope that our prayers are going to be answered? What if they're answered by this opposing force instead? It's like, we don't dare go there. So what I must conclude, and this is painful, this is very painful, I'm ready for the hate mail, go ahead, email me, I swear to gosh, I'm ready for it. I must conclude that the events that I'm still holding in that place of of unforgiveness, those resentments, those hatreds that I still hold are being caused by here. The only person that can make and hold and keep me shackled as a victim is right here. And so when uh, Jesus, the master teacher, tells us we need to forgive, he's not saying it because it would be a nice thing to do. He's saying it Because if we don't, we are the ones that are going to be tortured. And I want to use an example from my own life that that I'm kind of not proud of. And and, and I'll uh, I'll kind of confess this uh, with a a little bit of chagrin here, maybe even a a little bit of shame. Uh, My first uh, really long-term relationship on this planet, I was in my 20s. A fairly clueless, I might add. And uh, and my first long-term relationship was with an alcoholic. And I had no idea what alcoholism was. This was long before any training on my own part to know that alcoholism is a disease and, you know, on and on. And I became so incredibly resentful. I felt that this person, especially into year three and four of the relationship, I felt that this person was cheating me out of life. You know, having to bail him out of jail, having to uh, fix cars, having to, I mean, the list could go on in the physical world of the things that I had to help him with and put up with. And there was this little boy part of me that said, no, relationships are forever, You know, I've made this bargain, and I'm going to stick with it until the end, come hell or high water. And i got to tell you, I was experiencing a lot of hell and a lot of high water. So I was very reluctant to say this relationship had to end. But eventually I did. In about year seven, I'm a little bit of a slow learner sometimes, I finally said, okay, you just need to move out. I can see this isn't getting any better, Right. Uh, and and at least one of us should be happy (laughs) that was that was my final that was kind of kind of of my final thing was i can see you're never going to be happy oh my gosh i've changed since then And, and of course i i love love and bless this man now but but at the time it was like at least one of us should be happy and so we arranged for him to move out and and i had this idealistic idea that then everything would be fine right but i gotta tell you it wasn't after living seven years in that situation, I had closed my heart off. I still absolutely held him in that place of being my oppressor. And I firmly held myself still in that place of being a victim. And I got to tell you, my life in many ways was a mess, especially as you can imagine relationships. Now think about it what kind of person would be attracted to a 20-some-year-old who has their heart hardened? This was the kind of person I was attracting into my life because that's who I was at the time. And so several relationships were just horrible during my late 20s and early 30s because my heart was closed. My heart was not able to have love for myself have love to other people because there was this huge piece of me that was still blaming my ex for my life for everything that had gone wrong up until then probably even things that would never go wrong right i was i was pretty good at shoveling some of the blame around then and i gotta tell you it took me it took me another 10 years after that relationship ended to where i really was in a place that when his name came up or when I thought about that relationship, I was pretty neutral. It was just, yeah, that was part of my life. It got me to this point. And in that respect, I'm fine with it, you know, because I love who I am now. And he is part of what the process was that got me here. But oh my God, to be held hostage by who? To be held hostage for 10 years because I wouldn't, because I couldn't, forgive. Now my greatest gift, if I can give you a gift, if Jesus in this parable can give you a gift, it's for you to look into your own lives and see if there is such a situation, such an event, such a a person, such a, a, a thing that happened that has your heart closed. Look back through your early childhood thoughts. Look back at some of your early relationships. Look back at maybe some of the jobs where you were treated poorly or some of the, the people that didn't honor the, the, really the beauty and the dignity of who you are as a beautiful example of God in form. And if when you do that, you feel welling up inside you still some anger, still some separation from God, still that ability to look at them and think, you know, that person, that force outside of myself and outside of God. And if you're going there, there's forgiveness to be done. Do not make the mistake that I made. Now, this may not be easy. After the after the first service, a woman that came up and said, oh, you made it sound so easy, just like I can snap my fingers and forgive, you know? You have no idea what people may have done to me. And I thought to myself, I think actually I have a pretty good idea, having been a minister now for a few years, of what people can do to other people that are rotten. But what I know, without question, is that we can forgive. The process, I think, starts in separating what they did or what happened from them as individual beings of God. I, d- I really don't think on any given day that people wake up in the morning and begin plotting how rotten they can be. Do you know do you know what I mean? I mean, maybe in a Disney movie, Cruella Deville might manage it or or, or you know, something like that. But most of the people, most of the people who have caused you harm in this world did not wake up that morning and think, you know, how am I going to oppress my friend? How am I going to make just the worst day ever for my coworkers? Do you know what I mean? How am I going to treat my, my friend, my partner, my wife, or my husband just as poorly as I can today? I'm going to give it the full nine yards. And yet, and yet, when we look back at some of those times when things went so poorly, that's where we tend to go. It's as though we are blaming them for our reaction to what happened. We need to give that part of it up. It's absolutely fine. In fact, it's absolutely important that we not put ourselves in a position of harm. And so from that perspective, recognizing what happened is a good thing. I mean, thank heavens we have memories. Otherwise, we'd keep repeating the problem again and again. We'd put ourselves in the same positions. We'd set ourselves up for more pain. We'd be in that same position where other people could treat us badly. And I do not want that for anyone in this room. But if we can separate out what happened from the people who participated in it, then we have some hope here. Because I'm here to tell you there were two people, at least, that participated in whatever issue it was that happened, right? You were there as well. You were bringing your own perceptions of what's happening. You were part of the setup to the story, right? The betrayal or, or the harm or the hurt or whatever. It didn't happen just on that one day. There was a whole bunch of stuff that led up to it, and you're right there in the middle of it, too. Certainly in my failed relationship, you know, if I, if I had known a little more about alcoholism, my gosh... I would have been going to 12-step programs, too. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if I would have known a little bit, if I would have known what I, I love that, if I had known what I had known today, um, I might have had the wherewithal to do things a little differently. Doesn't matter. The good thing about this parable is when the forgiveness happens, you get a clean slate. Just as the first servant in this story, all, all that the servant had to do was say, please, Forgive me, I need a little more time. And it wasn't even like the master here that God said, okay, I'll give you a little more time, but you still need to come up with the 10,000 talents. No, no. God said, okay, that's good enough for me. I'm forgiving all of your debts. This is the attitude, if we can muster it, that we need to have for the people in our lives that have caused us issues and problems. This is truly how we can embark upon the rest of our lives without fear of that torture, without fear of stuff coming up to haunt us. And the person who's the torturer here is right here. When I am in unforgiveness, when I have resentful nature, when I am still angry, who is being tied up in knots? Who is being held chained? Whose heart is closing up? it really has no effect on the other people or situations at all. The only person that suffers is me. And so I'd like to uh, read another short segment from here. Ernest Seal says, in forgiving, you are not doing yourself, or excuse me, in forgiving, you are not so much doing the other person a favor as you're doing yourself a favor. This is precisely the reason for the injunction to practice forgiveness 70 times 7. Thus, it makes no difference how many times you've been in error or sin or mistakes you've made. The law does not hold it against you Once you have changed your mind, once you have begun acting differently, it is in this sense that God forgives us continually and forever. So the third part of analyzing a parable is simply for you to go within. How does this parable work in your own lives? And my invitation for you this week is a simple one. Look over your past lives, your your lives right up until this minute and ask yourself, are there people, are there events, are there things from my past, are there old bosses, old wives, old husbands, old partners, old issues that are still holding you hostage? And if the answer is yes, if the answer is yes, save yourselves through forgiveness You're the only person that can give that gift of forgiveness. And the gift, quite frankly, is to yourself. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. And what I know about life is that it is forgiving. It brings us this beautiful spring day after a a, a wet and cold winter. It it brings us the joy of children. It brings us the the life without end. It brings us every good thing. This is God. This is life. (coughs) This is the nature of forgiveness. And as it is true in general, I know it means me. I know that I can follow these same guidelines and separating out the people from their actions and forgive one and all that come into my life. And as it is true for me, as this opening of the heart happens in me, I know it is available to each person in this room. And so for each person here, I know that there's a, an awareness, perhaps, of where forgiveness work would be useful in their own lives. And I know that today and each day forward there's a greater willingness and a greater ability to look head on in issues where perhaps anger still wells up or where resentments still reside. And simply, so simply, I know that each person here can begin that process of forgiveness. Letting go, letting go of the past, letting go of resentments and harm, recognizing that the power we have to grant forgiveness is for us, is for each person in this room. And so I am very grateful to be here today. I'm grateful to be part of the power and the presence that is God taking the form of each person in this room, grateful for life itself. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law, knowing that it's good, knowing that it's fine, knowing that all is forgiven. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you.